Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 122. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Marin, joined by the James Bond and Triple X of the West Coast, <laughs> Jesse Cox and Alex Fasciani. Here's, uh, here's the question. Which one of us is Triple X? Which one of us is James Bond? And I don't know if I should be offended. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I guess we know who's Triple X. Didn't somebody else play Triple X too? Didn't it wasn't it like Vin uh, yeah, Diesel like, and like Ice T or Randy something Couture like that? Or something. Oh yeah, maybe you're right. Ice Cube. Yeah, right. hang on, Ice hang Cube. on. Who played Ice Cube? Triple Ice Cube was it Ice Cube. Yeah. Xander Cage. Yeah, Ice Cube. Uh, they're just showing me Vin Diesel. Like the second movie didn't. Uh, well, that's because it wasn't very Union. good. Stay yeah, the they Union. like ignoring. Hey, wait, what the heck is Triple X Return of Xander Cage 2017? That came out. Return of Xander Cage. He came back. There was a third movie? (laughs) Yeah, they were like, the second one is so bad. Let's just do a third one and bring Vin Diesel back. Dude, that's a real mystery right there. That feels like it's, that's more of a Berenstein Bears, like Mandela effect situation than anything else. (laughs) Wait a minute. Exhibit. Exhibit was in the second one. Was it Exhibit and not yeah, Ice no, Cube? It's Ice, the cast it's is Ice right Cube. Here. Is, Ice Cube oh, is Ice Cube. the main dude. Yeah, yeah. Ice Cube is the main dude, and Exhibit Lord played Order. some other character. That's the one with Willem Dafoe. I think I saw this yeah. movie. Uh, and Peter Strauss is in it. Samuel L. Jackson is in it. The hell! I never saw the. I never saw the second or third one. I only ever saw the first one. That was it. And uh, that's that's fine. Oh anyway, yes, you're, uh, whoever you can decide who's Triple X and who's uh, James Bond. I don't want to. I don't want to make that choice. You know what choice you should make? Yeah, heading over to Patreon.com/slash/ChaluminatiPod, <laughs> the oh, finest, so good. the finest website, uh, craft website made by the, only the best website makers, made with code from the f- freshest uh, bushes. And if you like to get free stuff from the Chiluminati podcast, uh, come on down, pay us to keep the lights on, and we'll give it to you if you want it. How would you think of that one? <laughs> that I tried a little to, I try, loose definition I of a little, free stuff, but it's it's like a tote bag, right? Like you go on PBS, yeah. you sign up. It's not that you're you're buying a tote bag from right, PBS. Yeah, you're supporting us. You're and getting supporting something in return. this fine show that you're already listening to for free, and in in exchange for the amount that you decide to give us, you get a free gift. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to grade you on two things. I'm going to give you a 10 out of 10 on the Segway by, by snatching Jesse's up and making it your own. It was smooth. It was unexpected. It was funny. Absolute 10 out of 10. I was going to say yeah. that in, in, in 16 days, yeah. you should <laughs> come to the live show in uh, Los Angeles, California. You should. At the Regent Theater. You should. Yeah. You should so come to the time. Tickets. I'm going to yeah, look please. into each one of your eyes. I'm going to look into both. First of all, I'm going to look into both of your eyes. Yay. And then once I get out on the stage, I'm going to look in everybody else's eyes in the entire wow. theater. Think about that. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Like we have um, over 400 people that are going to be there. You know this. I can't even. I'm not even. I haven't thought about that part yet. That's too many people. <laughs> that, that's more people than I've seen in two years. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. It's the largest. It'll be the largest amount of people I've ever been up in front of as well. It'd be fucking wild. Actually, that's not that's 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 not true. I, I went to Dodger Stadium. There was like 50,000 people there. But this is going to feel yeah, like you were performing. People. Yeah. I didn't look in the eyes of every single person at Dodger Stadium. You know what I mean? Yeah, true, true. And yeah. they weren't looking at you either. They were not even trying. And I'm going to tease that we have some fun stuff planned. And then I'm going to lightly remind you guys here live on the air that we need to plan some fun stuff for the live show. Uh, and we're gonna, <laughs> and it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Um, before we get going, though, uh, 
since, you know, we're doing Ed Gein stuff, there was something I wanted to bring up last episode that I actually totally forgot. And this is specifically for you, Alex, because you're a big comic book fan. I was going to uh, say Patreon.com. No, just kidding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there was actually a comic released a couple months ago, simply titled, Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? The author oh, was yes. Harold Schechter, the guy that wrote the book, one of the books that I read. But artist Eric Powell, and if you're into like that kind of horror Eric stuff. Eric Powell, art really? Is a, yeah, he did wow. the whole, they teamed up and they did the book together and it That's looks. That's the guy who did the goon. Uh, Eric yes. Powell is really a good, uh, like pretty famous artist, actually. Yes, and his, and like the, the comic book is, I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also like the art is fantastic in the book. So oh, yeah. if you have any interest, anybody out there has, has a comic book interest and has a true crime interest. Uh, did you hear what Eddie Gein done? Uh, I'll see if they that. have it at my shop. I got to go down there like tomorrow so yeah I, it's really really cool yeah uh all right with that out of the way are you boys ready to go back into the world we left let's off? do it let's Am go I ready like i'm here i'm here for right. it i'm it's gonna make me sad is the thing yeah today might make you a little bit more sad definitely some more disturbing things but yeah yeah well we'll see we'll see how you feel at the end of it all okay so when yeah. last we left ed Gain, he had suffered tragedy after tragedy an extremely abusive upbringing, both physically and verbally. The school kids were mean to him, and through it all, Ed Gein was also severely mentally ill. And after a rough few years of losing one family member after another, Ed Gein, for the very first time, found himself alone, with only his own disturbing thoughts to keep him company. For the small town of Plainfield, however, very little changed about Ed Gein on the outside. After Augusta's passing... Ed remained the soft-spoken, polite, and friendly, if a little creepy toward women specifically, neighborhood weirdo. While Ed himself was never particularly well-kempt to begin with, Augusta was a notoriously clean woman. And with Augusta no longer around, the farmstead began to fall in line with Ed's lack of grooming habits. Quickly, the front lawn became overgrown with weeds. The pastures had begun to recede into the woodland, and the last of the few livestock they had, Ed ended up selling off to afford his mother's funeral, of which very few people showed up outside of a couple of her siblings and one or two neighborhood people. An unkempt Ed, as, uh, as unkempt as Ed always was, his physical appearance still further declined. He was consistently seen with a week's worth of stubble around his chin, but most importantly, anybody who found themselves a little too close to Ed said, quote, he could do with a bit of a bath more often. The man basically smelled like garbage. The man never took a bath. God damn. Yeah, he was a smelly boy. Others in town. That's very opposite how a lot of uh, people who are serial killers kind of operate. Yeah, very much so. Which, again, I mean, at the end of the series, we'll have a discussion of whether you believe Ed was a serial killer or not. But, yeah, he doesn't fall in line with a lot of the kind of stereotypes. Yeah, his MO is a little uh, different in a lot of ways. Yes, very much so. Uh, Others in town, like the local barber, weren't too quiet about their distaste for Ed's personal grooming habits, outwardly calling him a, quote, filthy little thing. No matter the case, it didn't change Ed's personality all that much. He still made himself available to those who needed help, who would never he would never be somebody who would say no to a neighbor in need, whether it be helping someone saw firewood or when neighbor Bob Hill's car had broken down or when Georgia Foster had to run an errand and but nobody was around to babysit the kids. Ed Gein took part and helped in all of those things and was even called, quote, the most dependable person in the county. By local lumber mill, and that particular quote comes from local lumber mill worker Floyd Reed. 
The town clearly trusted him enough to do things, regardless of his appearance, quirky personality, or the ill-kept farmstead that was now all his own. While farm equipment sat in his yard and quite literally rusted away, Ed made money by renting out pieces of his farmland that he no longer needed. See, since Ed was a, was a quiet and introverted individual, he had very little needs to himself, and through renting his land, he was able to take care of himself as much as he was needed to. He went from, now, we have two conflicting pieces of information. In one, in one source, uh, it says when Ed got the farm, it was 195 acres, and another, it said it was 265 acres. Regardless, it's a huge he, discrepancy. It's a huge discrepancy. Regardless, though, he sold down to having 160 acres to his name by the end of it all. And so knowing that I'm more inclined to believe he probably it, the, the factual number is probably 265. And he rented out about 100 acres to the local farmers for their own farm work. And that, that was enough to keep him going for as long as he needed. Um, that's not to say, of course, that if you were paying attention, that you wouldn't find anything necessarily wrong with Ed Gein. One particular bad habit Ed had come uh, had had when it came to uh, women was around dinner time. Usually while Ed was working some odd job or another or another job for farmers, like when a farmer crew got together and helped with threshing on some local farm. At the end of the job, the family had fed all of the volunteers a huge dinner, including Ed. Now, during meals, uh, during these group meals, Ed always made sure to wait until every other farmer had gotten their food and taken a seat before he would even make a move to this to the food and grab a seat for himself. Whether this was simply because of anxiety or choice paralysis or choice paralysis or just a personality quirk, it's impossible to know, but others always noted it. But that wasn't the creepy part. Ed, in a similar vein, always waited until everyone else had finished their meals and left the room when they when the normal crew would head outside to lay in the grass and smoke on their lunch break. Meanwhile, Ed would stay inside and linger alone at the table silently. And if the wife or any of the other farmer's daughters were around, his gaze would be fixed on them as they moved around the kitchen, cleaning up with a half with that half slight smirk that was always plastered onto his face. And if the women ever looked up and met his eyes, he'd immediately stand up, clean his plate and leave the room. The women always said they felt disconcerted when he was uh, caught doing that. But for the most part, they just felt bad for him because now he was all alone and maybe he just couldn't help it. However, one notable occurrence lingers in the minds of those who study Ed Gein. And with the benefit of hindsight, we likely know who the culprit of this particular crime was. On one hot afternoon in June of 1944, Ed was helping the Bates with some farm work as he was often doing. The Bates. As they work, the Bates. Yes, yes, I know. You wonder where the name came yeah. from. It literally comes from his history. As they worked... The Bates' younger female cousin, Connie, came by the farm in a swimsuit, heading out for a swim in the nearby watering hole or lake or something along what those lines. What year is this again? 1944. So this isn't like a bikini. This is no, like... God, no. It's probably like a one-piece suit, you know, probably has some short sleeves. Not even what we considered a one-piece suit. This is like no. almost like her ankles are showing a little. Like you know. <laughs> Yes, correct. You are 100% correct. Um, and she had swung by their farm. They were the female. She was their younger cousin uh, just to kind of say hi to the family. Unsurprisingly, as Ed was there, Ed seeing the swimsuit was immediately and vocally critical of it. It was to him 
unmodest and a proper wouldn't wouldn't a proper woman wouldn't reveal such skin. Augusta, no doubt, would be ranting and raving about the sinners of Plainfield, the worst women of them all, after all. And again, his deceased mother, even now, was being proven right to, to Ed Gein. I'm looking at 1940s bathing suits, and <laughs> yeah. the most scandalous ones are ones that look like modern cocktail dresses almost. They like just the, look like, like dress, they look like, you like know a what? flight attendant outfit. Yeah, sundresses, yeah, yeah. I think, are the most scandalous looking ones. They just look like a sundress. Very yeah, funny. Yeah, they don't not anything like today, not even remotely. Now, as Ed spoke up, Mr. Bates stepped in, defending Connie from Ed's critique, saying that she lived a plenty modest life and was the only one taking care of her 10 year old uh, son while her while her husband was away fighting in World War Two. The disagreement quickly tapered off as he confronted Ed and the day continued while Connie assumed it was a simply weird argument with the town weirdo. That night, however, Connie would be traumatized. When Connie had come home later that evening, she was greeted with a horrifying sight. Her 10-year-old was laying on the landing, having difficulty breathing and completely unable to speak. In a panic... Yep, go ahead. No, I'm just shocked. Oh, sorry. That was yeah. a shocked open. Yeah. <laughs> In a panic, Connie summoned a local doctor, holding her child while he continued to struggle. The doctor eventually arrived and quickly deduced that the small child had been strangled. Luckily, the young boy named Stevie ended up making a full recovery, but was unable to identify his attacker. But he said the following. Here, I'll have uh, one of you read this quote. I'll give this to Jesse. This is a 10-year-old boy. I'm going to put it in Zoom. Okay. <laughs> Get ready for this voice. Yeah, yeah. Someone shook me awake. It was a man, but it was so dark. I could only see he had these goofy eyes. He wanted to know where mommy was. It was important. But when I told him, he wouldn't believe me. He started choking me till everything went blank. Yeah. So some man I don't even came need to looking. buy the comic book now. That was perfect. <laughs> right. Oh, that was geez, pulled Mr. you into the world. 1944. It's like it's you were 1944, there. 1944, 10-year-old here. Whoa. Wow. Hey, Willikers. <laughs> Gee, Gee so good at exposition. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mister. <laughs> Got a dime for the movie show? <laughs> that's too. That's too expensive for the forties. <laughs> I need to get oh, some God. popped corn and iced cream. <laughs> iced cream. <laughs> Who is this kid? We are truly it's back in nineteen forty-four. <laughs> And a sodi pop, mister. <laughs> I feel like this kid's about like chewing on like some tobacco or something and flipping a coin. All of a sudden he's like it a thug the on the street. Delicious beluga caviar I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, you turn it into that, that Italian monster you were telling us, a yeah. child version of the Italian monster. What is you guys doing over here? <laughs> Just a I gold. I can use a sodi pop and a creamed corn. <laughs> I just have this kid in this oversized suit that's too big for him chomping on a cigar that's the size of his forearm. Oh, jeez. Why's this kid got a cigar in his mouth? Because he's Who's like a this? mobster. Who he's is a this guy? He's like the baby boss. from Roger Rabbit. Would you get a load of these goobas over here? Oh, oh no. Did we, just create, did we just create Boss Baby? Is that what we just did? Oh, I think no. We, I, we did a little writer's room. Yeah, I, yeah, think right? I think that's just it's like what that thing where they say that enough monkeys with enough typewriters can make Hamlet is any three dudes. They get to boss baby at some point. <laughs> yeah, it, it took us 122 episodes, but we did get there. We did get there. 
Um, so poor Stevie basically was hanging out at home as you do at 1944 as a 10 year old. Not really. Nobody was babysitting him. And this and this man with goofy eyes came looking for his mom. And when he couldn't tell her, he was like, all right, I guess I'm going to strangle the kid. But didn't kill him, left him on the porch and left him there. Now, we do not know if it was Ed. However, it's likely since he was looking for the mother, it happened right after the bathing suit incident. And uh, Ed was already starting to struggle with schizophrenic tendencies. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Ed who had arrived to uh, to the house looking for the mother for one reason or another. We don't know. Outside of that occurrence, however, most people looked rather fondly upon Ed, but not everybody felt this way about our dear old Eddie and maybe could see past and maybe couldn't see past his peaceful demeanor a bit or rather could see past his peaceful demeanor. Or smell a bit. past his fucking disgusting armpits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was hard. You couldn't really smell past that. That was a dominating smell. You couldn't get past that. It just maybe that's why he got away with it for so long. You just dominating smell is a horrible, just horrible, like two words. <laughs> While the farmers saw him as a capable enough worker, calling them fond of Ed would be a stretch. Seeing seeing him as nothing more than the perfect target for their practical jokes. What jokes you might ask? Well, I've got a couple for you. One joke played on Ed came after a hard day's work at a farm. Afterward, the farmers would usually share a tub of iced beer. However, what on this particular, yeah, yeah, I know it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but yeah, tub iced of iced beer, beer. Yeah. passing yeah. around the bucket of beer. Yeah, they'd scoop out a mug for each other and like pass mugs around. Okay, uh, um, look earlier before we started this show, we were talking yeah. about Peaky Blinders, and I just want to say it's true in that show. They serve beer in buckets. So, you know, it was a thing. It was a thing. Fair enough. You know what? Yeah, this is, this is like 20 years it's after wholesome. that show. I like that. It's wholesome. And they, on dip, this particular, they dip in and scoop it up. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Uh, on this particular occasion, though, one of the farmers handed Ed not a glass half filled with iced beer, but instead a glass half filled with brandy. And dear old Ed guzzled the whole thing down without batting an eye and could not tell the difference. And before you know it, Ed was absolutely shit faced. He couldn't tell the difference between brandy and beer. That's what I'm going to do with the Chilluminati live show. You have to. (laughs) (laughs) You have to keep in mind, Ed was not a very common or often drinker because his mother had demonized it so much. He's like an antisocial guy. He's kind of trying to fit in. They give him the cup. He's going to toss it back. He doesn't like the beer. But But he hasn't had any beer before this point. He had. He definitely had, but look, he I, did not. Um, <laughs> dude, okay. haven't you ever been pranked where somebody like instead of getting Sprite, somebody gives you milk in your uh, in your little soda cup? No, it's a terrible feeling. I'm just saying <laughs> it, it can get no, past you. Uh, who it are can your friends? Why would they do this to you? It's a. Pr- I mean, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was yeah, okay. oh, oh, it's, it's a solid prank. Uh, they claimed as he got drunk his droopy eye got even saggier and that's how they could tell how drunk he was it was just like his his left eye with the boil or whatever on it just got saggier and saggier as he got more and more drunk uh another joke they played on ed was when some of the guys put a smoke bomb under the hood of his truck cracking up when ed tried to leave and the the smoke bomb went off and he came stumbling out of the driver's seat coughing and hacking like something out of like a vaudeville performance basically just completely like just (sighs) coughing they just they were hackling at her adam he was seen as weak pathetic too womanly and quote another casper milk toast 
End quote. Damn. Classic 1940s insult. Ed was the butt. Casper Milk Toast? Yeah, he was just another. Not even a re- not even like a standout. He was, quote, another Casper Milk Toast. That's just what my another one to teacher used pie. to say to people. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. they, call, they called you a Casper Milk Toast? He said, you don't want to be a Casper Milk Toast. And you were like, you know what? You're right. I was like, I don't Let's know what that dodgeball. means. I'm thinking yeah, of the ghost sir, from the I movie. I have no what you're saying. And Milk Toast yeah. sounds kind of delicious, so. No. <laughs> Needless to say, Ed was the butt of every joke. No wonder Ed tended to prefer reading over hanging out with the locals. And Ed was, as we mentioned in the last episode, a voracious reader. But as Ed entered adulthood, he ended up having very specific taste in reading, giving us a window into the thoughts and mind that was crawling around Ed's head. For starters, Ed Gein was an enormous true crime fan, Mm. reading and devouring any and all magazines about true crime he could at the time, particularly the magazines where a half naked woman was being violently assaulted on the cover. Question. You can actually. Yes. Does the following story you're about to tell, does it Mm -hmm. in any way associate with the fact that I think everyone who's into true crime is, in fact, a potential killer? I mean, yes, I guess. I have a strong theory that if you are like really into true crime, you are one bad day away from being a psycho killer. What, it depends on can, how can you it depends up. on how you're into the true crime. Right, I feel like. like, no, I, I consider like myself into it. Not like you <laughs> casually really, listen to an episode of Shluminati where we talk about, you know, Ed Gein or whatever. I'm talking about if you're like, I've watched every single Netflix show about murdering your wife, like that kind of thing. <laughs> I believe fundamentally you are. Uh, a psycho killer you're what training like, you're training whether have, or not you want to believe it what if i have books about the mind of a serial killer and like the psychology behind them and well, that kind yeah, of thing no is, no i'm I, it stands for you as well no you think I, i'm oh, a bad yeah. day away I'm, why do you think i'm on for, your side for us because we're famous you know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. I can just funnel my inner murder. That's why. That's why I was, you know, channeling Charles Manson. Remember? Right, you know, right, right, right. No, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm worried. That's why Alex always sits between us. <laughs> you mean like in the Zoom stack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a seven, eight, nine scenario. I'm just gonna reach through the screen and strangle you for no reason. Yeah, the live show. Of Alex is in the middle and checks out. Six I'm afraid of saying, seven. I got like a little space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I snap. I'll save you for last. Hey, you know It'll what? Be fine. Hey, let the chase <laughs> begin, my friend. Cat and mouse. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, if you're in, like, if you Google though, like 1940s true crime magazines, you're gonna see what I'm talking about. The most it's like dangerous that classic, gamer. like woman, like. Her hands in front of her face, all scared, you know, drawn, not a picture. And yeah. some dude with like a, a knife, like chasing her. Yeah, I know her. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It is the, uh, you know, the bit, click, click. What are, I'm about to say bait click. Yeah, that's very not clickbait. Just, it's clickbait. It's the clickbait of the it time. Is. Yeah. It's like Paul. 100%. It's because, you know, we're just a bunch of horny dudes. That's it. Yeah, that's we, it. I don't know if I'm horny for murdering people. But, yeah, but, but that's that it. girl it's in true. the picture, the girl in the picture is definitely like, like sexy. She's definitely oh, yeah. like, Every a, time. she looks like Betty Davis, you know. Yeah. yeah. So mixed into his collection of true crime magazines were also a collection of magazines that all uh, heavily dispa- displayed very busty women on the cover. Mm-hmm. And there was no no particular magazine that he was subscribed to. It just seemed he kind of just grabbed whatever just had a big titted lady on the front. And he mm-hmm. just he grabbed yep, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> And these were all things he very eagerly spoke about with other men during the job. 
He specifically, others recalled, enjoyed talking about the murder cases that he would read about in the true crime magazines. And when he tried talking about women with the other guys, his flirty kind of like man talk always came off to them as schoolish and boyish. He'd say like bags about, of sand and shit. <laughs> no, no it, the two examples that, that I have here is uh, he would simply just talk about how how darn cute a woman was. And that was his way of saying she was hot. Not like adorable, but like cute in like a sexual way. Yeah. Um, that, hanging out with Barney that, like, that does say a lot about guys. And I think this is true. I sure. fundamentally believe this It's like to, to all the women out there. Men are gross. And oh, yeah. when we get oh, together, no we're doubt. not like, golly gee, she <laughs> seems like a person I'd love to get together with and maybe have a sody pop. No, we're <laughs> like, yo, dude, should I show her my dick? Six <laughs> serial killer notebook level. The answer is always no. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is never do it unless she specifically asks. That is there. All I'm saying is guys forever, even in the 40s, yeah. were dirty dogs. And so yeah, I can understand how if he's like, boy. She seems like a swell dame. They're like, bro, come on. Get out of <laughs> yeah, here. Like, what do you really feel? Yeah, shut up, bro. You need some more brandy, <laughs> shut up, dude. Bro. Uh, <laughs> another, another, another phrase he used was when it came to local woman Bernice Warden. And he would often talk about how, quote, nice and plump she had gotten over the years. Mm. And that was another like, That's like weird... big bad wolf language. I don't like that. Yes. Yes. But that you would say it in like a like he's turned on by it sort of way or some it's bizarre it's very bizarre regardless at this point in the mid to late 1940s ed was starting to retreat further and further into seclusion into his farmhouse working less helping less all the while all while the farm continued to fall into further disrepair his schizophrenia had begun to come forward claiming later that he was hearing the whispers and distant voice of his deceased mother often Often. He also voiced, huh? How how often are we talking? Uh, usually on the nights when he was going to do something bad, it becomes clear. And most of the time, he said his mother was telling him to be a good boy, and that would <sighs> would, would keep him from doing certain things uh-huh. until on some nights where it would build too much, and he just couldn't. And he would just ignore the voice and go do it anyway. And we'll talk about what he was doing in a moment. Okay, because you didn't jump straight to murder. You may be uh, surprised. He'd also voiced a few times to other farmers how absolutely fascinated with the female sex he was, that he often daydreamed as a child of uh, that as a child that he himself was a little girl and how he wished many times that he was a woman and that a doctor overseas had just performed the first sex change surgery. And that certainly if they could figure it out and read enough books, that maybe the procedure could be done at home. So there's debate whether, uh, you know, Bed Gein was having a lot of uh, questioning his own gender and whether he was uh, uh, trans or not. Um, I think he was or at least, you know, was was struggling to deal he was, with those he was thoughts. on that sort of path. But I he don't... was so fucked up by his mother. He would there was no healthy way for him to. Right. Address I, I don't think if you thoughts. asked him, he would be like, I'm trans. Yeah. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. No, 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 no. But. They and it's true. Uh, the they as he was what he was talking about was in the 40s. I believe it was the late 40s. Uh, it was a Danish surgeon who had just performed the very first one. I have to double check if that's the right country, but I'm pretty sure it was Dane. Uh, and and he they, and had made news in the newspapers out in New York and stuff. And he had read about it. 
and he just became super, super excited about it. Mm, While on the outside, yeah. While on the outside, folk may have been relatively accepting of Ed. If one were to enter through the threshold of his home, you'd be greeted with something far worse, far darker, and far more sinister. What? While Ed was certainly a fan of true crime, his reading in many ways is uh, was his own desires were his his reading, and in many ways his very own desires were more depraved. Ed had gotten in his head over the years that while his mother was dead, yes, there was a way he could potentially resurrect her. Initially, this manifested in a very silly way. You see, you have to understand that most of Ed's personal activities took place after sundown, mainly because he, the, the place to perform said activities was usually the graveyard. After Augusta passed, Ed entered an almost permanent state of derealization and depersonalization. To him, nothing felt real anymore and everything was dreamlike. But if Augusta could return, everything would return to normal as it should be. He would, many times, make his way to the graveyard late at night, wander his way over to his mother's grave, standing there, staring at it with his awkward, droopy-eyed gaze. Lit by the moonlight, scrubby, dirty, and ever-umkempt Ed Gein would command his mother to rise from her grave. What the... <laughs> yeah that sounds like a mission from red dead redemption that you would like <laughs> find <laughs> a question a, across some dude yeah question mark on the map dirt. yeah yeah over and over again night after night as the years would it's go incredibly on incredibly sad Ed would wander to the graveyard and attempt to resurrect his mother with pure willpower it's like what fry's dog did that's like rough. Oh my god, that's, that's a sadder <laughs> example. That's a much sadder it's example. The same. The, the, just the picture of Ed Gein in his dirty clothes, slumped over his mother's grave, just being like, "Get up, get Rise. out of your grave, rise!" <laughs> just like hoping it's gonna work. Obviously, it never did. And while this is certainly is a sign of someone that is wholly mentally unwell. This thought didn't form in a vacuum per se, this theory, this, this hope that he could do it. As I said earlier, yes, Ed was an avid true crime and busty magazine reader, but he was a fan of much, much darker material as well, things he wouldn't share with his friends. On most nights, you could find Ed in his small bedroom, sat on his sheetless, stained and greasy mattress, playing surrounded Nintendo by Switch. Why you gotta say oh, it no. like that? Because it's exactly and true. greasy mattress. Because it was. It was. Stained it literally and was. greasy? Yes. Stained, greasy. It had this mildew on it, as a police officers would say later on. Ugh. Like that it was just a gross molding mattress. And he slept on it. <laughs> so it's just how it is. Um, he was surrounded by literal filth while he would read. Empty cans of beans was his preferred dinner. And thus, the most common trash that he would clamor into as he walked. And the way he would make his beans would simply open the can, place it on an open flame until he dipped his finger and found it was warm enough, and then eat the beans just directly from the, cl- like, the can. Was it a type of bean? Or like a can beans, of beans? Like, like a can of beans. Like Rorschach. Baked beans? Yeah. I would, go with, I would assume it's baked, like baked beans. Yeah, I would assume it's something like that. But Dude, it's 1940. so he was like... Living gross, sleeping He's gross, like and farting goofy too. IRL. Yeah, goofy IRL. We're going to talk about his, his house as it was specifically right now. Ugh. But it was also very common to stand amongst rat and mouse droppings, mm-hmm. molding food, and dirty clothing tossed around his bedroom. 
Should you step out of his bedroom and into the kitchen, you'd be greeted with a more abhorrent sight. There was no light in the kitchen. It was completely dark and damp on most days. And apart from the house-wide mouse droppings and empty cans of food, cobwebs lined the ceiling and a deer head sat mounted nearby, covered in dust and untended to for who meant knows how many a years. Deer oh, like just, just a deer head? Just a cut off? Like a, like, a deer like a mounted deer, deer head? head? Like a tr- yeah, like a oh, mounted okay. deer head right. sat up there. Fair yeah, enough, yeah. yeah. And, while, and Ed comfortably sat on his mildew-stained mattress read books and magazines about the Nazis. What? He was a fan of two things about them specifically. First, their weird ritualistic in, uh, beliefs and behaviors. Um, something that I hope we will in the future, maybe we'll talk about as like a series, the Nazi and its occult origin and stuff, which is really fascinating. Um, yeah. but, more sp- <laughs> but more specifically, Ed Gein <sighs> had become utterly fascinated by the atrocities committed by Ilse. Ilsa Koch. Do you know uh, do you know that name? Ilsa Koch or Koch? It's K O C H. You said that is Koch, right? Koch? K O C H? Yeah, K O C K O C H would be Coke. Uh, Ilsa Koch. K O C Yeah, Coke. Yeah, I L S E is her first name, uh Ilsa Koch. However, if you don't know that name, you may know her as the Bitch of Buchenwald. What? The Bitch of Buchenwald. Some even say this is where he pulled a lot of his inspiration or perhaps began to self-teach himself in some perverted way. The bitch of Buchenwald was specifically known for collecting human heads and using the tattooed skin of her victims to make lampshades and book bindings. What? Yeah. While occasionally reading about his second favorite female Nazi, Irma Grease, a 19-year-old Grease? An Ilsa Coke? Yeah, (laughs) yes. And she, this was a 19-year-old SS officer who performed her primary duty of selecting enfeebled women and children for extermination. 19 These years two, old? Yeah, she was a 19-year-old SS officer. How did she get that job? Nazi Germany, man. I have no idea. So this guy um, was just at home by himself in, a, in filth, eating beans, learning about Nazis, emulating them, making fan art of them. And that was his fucking While his mother whispered in his mind to be a good boy. That's like what happened to half the country in like April of 2020. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The only difference, the only place in this house that one could consider clean would be the room that would remain locked. And one Ed would never walk into. That's his mom's bedroom. bedroom. Correct. That room he kept immaculate from head to toe. That room was kept clean free of trash and completely preserved like a museum room. And like I said, Ed never would step into that room, seeing it as a place of like, uh, like a holy ground in a weird way, a sanctified room. But that wasn't the only thing in this time that he was consuming and tossing into this mess of a psychotic soup. Ed was also a huge fan of magazines and tales of South Seas adventures. Huh? Not just your typical pirate adventures, though. He was specifically collecting and reading the ones about cannibals and headhunters. But not to leave you wanting more, Ed's last favorite thing to read about were stories about exhumations, which he counted among some of his favorites. Specifically, any stories that he could read and attain about the resurrection men or body snatchers. Now, these were people who would grave rob, steal corpses, and peddle those corpses to 19th century anatomy schools, which was a very, very, very yeah. common thing back then. Like that walrus. 
<laughs> yes, like the wall. Like, yes, like the walrus we talked about. Um, <clears throat> he loved all this stuff. He, the reason he loved all these specifically is he loved the process and learning about how a corpse would be exhumed from a grave. He was fascinated by it. Mixed into those thoughts was a story Eddie read and never forgot set in the 19th century Britain, where a club of depraved young aristocrats dug up the graves of beautiful young women and would perform unspeakable acts with the corpse. What? All while Eddie would visit his mother's grave and continually demand she rise to life once more. His thoughts, his imagination, and his mental illness were well running wild and only getting worse at this point. Yeah, the, he, one of his favorite stories he read about were just like a bunch of young Britain rich people digging up a female corpse and basically doing sexual things and doing all kinds of horrible acts to it. How do you even, he, how do you go to a, what did he go to a bookstore? Like, how did he, how did he I, locate, how did he tell someone that's what he wanted to find? I honestly, I don't know. I don't know how you, I, like in the old days, I imagine there was just like you, things you would mail off and maybe you'd get these like dirty magazines or you'd find them in like the restriction section of like bookstores. I do not know how, how you would, how one person would just like casually come across it. That's crazy. But he did. And he, and he, and it was something he, he sought out. So as time went on, it was becoming increasingly clear that Ed was failing at resurrecting his mother from beyond the grave, surprising nobody, no matter how hard the man friggin' tried, she just wouldn't wake up. Meanwhile, his mother's voice would continue to visit him telling him to behave, be a good boy, essentially all the things that she raised him to be. And his curiosity about being a woman had become more than a curiosity by the late 40s and an obsession at this point for Ed. And Ed could no longer repress his urges. And in the summer of 1947, or rather the winter of 1947, Ed crossed his first line and began to commit his first crimes. If his mother wouldn't rise from the grave, and he'd find a way to bring her back himself. So Ed began to start grave robbing. See, the failure to raise his mother from the grave didn't deter him. In fact, as time went on, Ed's delusions only grew worse, and Ed began to believe that he had the ability to raise any of the dead through sheer force of will, which he would try to do, every single time he exhumed a corpse on his own. And with the horrible mix of a need for his mother, the abuse of his, that his mother put him through, the obsession with becoming a woman, all mixed in the potent sauce that is untreated schizophrenia, and the only thing Ed thought of was to dig up, the only resolution, rather, to bring his mother back that Ed could think of was to dig up middle-aged women and craft their corpses into various useful pieces of clothing. Literally, when it comes Frank. Oh, well, that took a left turn. Okay. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. We'll talk about it. I Not see how he got there. I see how he got yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of dangerous path. When it comes specifically to how it all started with Ed saying the following. I'll let you read this one up, Alex. This is uh, how his grave robbing began. I'm going to put this on Zoom. After my mother died, I began to have strange visions. I developed an uncontrollable desire to see a woman's body. I began to visit cemeteries at night when the moon was full. Had an aunt of mine worked up in a lunatic asylum told me once how patients went wild this time of month. I began to watch the papers for obituaries of women. The night after they were buried, I would go to the cemetery and open up their graves. 
So you just kind of got the urge and he would just basically hunt the newspapers, waiting for a woman that matched his particular criteria, age and waited a day and went on to take the, their bodies the next day. Now, so, it's so interesting yeah. to think about because last time we were talking about maybe he did this, this other act of violence when he was a bit younger against yeah. uh, his brother, right? His brother. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, I mean, it, it changes things a little bit for my understanding of who this guy is, like whether or not yeah. that's true. I I'm having trouble deciding because, you know, if he did something horrific and then he started f- hyper-focusing on sort of morbid stuff, I can sort of track that. Yeah. But I want, but if not, I very much wonder how he got on that in the first place. And I'm still kind of puzzling in my mind over what it would be like for him to be like for me, if I like a song, I can just go on iTunes and I can like, yeah, you know, exactly. You can just get it out of your system. You can listen to it. I can find another one. You know, I can mm-hmm. go. You may also like, but I'm just so interested in the academic sort of like trajectory of his reading. It's so strange to me. It's also weird too thinking about the Henry, the Henry murder. If you are convinced that it was Ed who attacked the 10 year old. Because if he did attack the 10-year-old, then he clearly has a propensity for violence, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. Hell, he assaulted a 10-year-old I would say it's pretty well established that Ed Gein has a propensity for violence at this point. Yeah, it's just we wouldn't see evidence of it for a little while yet. And and the fact that he's robbing graves instead of killing first shows a slow buildup. I don't want to say he's he's trying to resist the killing. I think we're seeing a ramp up period where he's experimenting and he's trying new things and seeing what he likes and what he doesn't. Yeah. He might not realize he's a murderer yet. Now it's important to note too, that Ed Gein, while he read those horrible stories claims at the end of it all, and we'll talk more about his confessions next episode. And he never, ever, ever like sexually violated the bodies in his own weird mind. That was like a crossing of morality line. He would never sleep or perform necrophilia on those bodies. What a gentleman. Right. What a gentleman. And if he took if he took a body home and didn't need all of the body parts, he said he would go off and put the body back and bury it as a weird sense of like, I'm sorry, I disturbed the, the you completely here. You know, put this back. Redemption. And if, extra bo- are- and if he had extra body parts from other bodies and he, there was a grave he knew he took body parts from, he would bring those body parts to the grave that was missing them to like replace them. It's very, very strange. Like his morality line is like I don't know that weird. It's, I don't know that it's that strange considering how he was raised. I feel mm, like it, I'm no psychologist, but I feel like it sounds from what you're saying. That the heart of everything he's doing, there is a voice in him that is like, yes, this is wrong. This is this is bad. And it's like when people and I think even I'm guilty of this, but I think everyone is when you do something wrong and you know it's wrong. And so you go out of your way to like right the wrong, but in a way that is totally stupid like makes no sense but you you somehow feel like you know it's a little bit better it's not nearly as bad as it could have been and justify it to yourself yeah and i think that's what this is i think his you're absolutely like heavy religious background he you know while doing everything he's doing he also is still like i'm gonna hedge my bets Right. It's like, yeah. look, I may be bad, but I'm going to I'm going to see if I can still do some good. And I think that also relates to the whole his idea of of he's going to dabble in all the things he's doing, but he only does it like incrementally. And I yes, feel like very slow. Yeah, I feel like he's slowly deprogramming himself from everything that he was taught and that repressed him so much. But he's like doing it in extremely unhealthy ways. 
Yeah, he's going the wrong path. Yeah. The weird thing is I see people who like go down this path. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Especially people who aren't necessarily so socialized. Like, you know, we're gamers. We work in a weird field where like some of us are like, uh, you know, somebody like me who used to perform in front of a live audience four times a week, you know, for years and years and years versus people who like before they were on YouTube had never like spoken to somebody outside of school. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, you see stuff like this, like they're, they're, they're people's minds do work this way. This is a strange yeah. sort of like little journey, but it's certainly not a unique one. It's kind of weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It's very weird. And, I, and hopefully you see as we go, like where a lot of the horror movie cliches that I mentioned come from when, when it comes to Ed Gein, you'll learn more as we go. So two years after his mother's death, his five year hobby of robbing graves began. We know he robbed at least nine graves covering three separate cemeteries in the local area. Over the course of a couple of hours, Ed would arrive at the cemetery and the grave he was and at the grave he was going to dig up. Quickly, uh, quickly, so quickly he dug up the grave. In fact, police officers and interrogators didn't actually believe him because of his small frame and how heavy these dead bodies and how much dirt he would have to dig up was. But after they he took them through the process. It was proven that, yes, he actually could. He had this weird paranoia strength when it came to, like, being able to lift bodies out of there. From there, he would either take the corpse wholesale or dismember the parts of the corpse that he wanted, taking only what he needed and reinterring the pieces that he didn't, reburying them and, quote, left them right as an apple pie, end quote. That's specifically from him and during his confessions is that he left them right as an apple pie. Damn. After arriving home with his ill-gotten gains, Ed truly began to let his darker side take hold. With these body parts, Ed began to become something of a horror movie artisan, perhaps driven by what he read about the bitch of Buchenwald or his own inner twisted desires. With the body, Ed would begin to craft. Lampshades made with human skin, chairs bound with human leather, a breast vest, a face mask, and perhaps most infamously, a nipple belt. We're all crafted by Ed and Ed would wear all of these nightly as a ritual, putting on the breast vests, taking the face of a woman that he turned into a mask and wore it. He wore, he made skin gloves and would wear those uh, and, and other pieces as, as well as the uh, eventually creating his own, um, basically carving out the vagina of a corpse and making himself one that he would wear around the house uh, as part of the human suit that he was slowly piecing together through robbing graves and so he on. He could have just got into like trash, like making it into like <laughs> sculptures. Yeah. yeah. Or just, you know, regular leather working, you know, if you want to like make furniture and stuff like that. Yeah. You have to do I this. suppose that's not what the bitch of Buchenwald did though. No, no, she did not. And it certainly wasn't helping Ed picture himself as his mother. Often Ed would wear these things traipsing around his home and often dancing outside in the moonlight. In essence, resurrecting with air quotes his mother in his own twisted way do you think this is because she had so much power and control in his life that she was the only figure and like she radiated a power and control and he buster by being her sure yeah like 100 percent. he did not know what to do without her in his life the minute she died he was a lost man he he was she was his anchor his guide his guardian his god in so many ways and when she left and all his other family was already dead. 
Yeah, you didn't know what to do. I mean, you could just tell by the way the house fell apart. Yeah, it's so hard to. I mean, I would love to know what official diagnoses of of him are, because yeah. there's a, so much going on, and all of it stems from clearly an abusive household. Very much and, so. But also, he clearly must be suffering from something because his way of handling that. But also, it's the forties. So, who are you going to talk to in the forties? Yeah, I mean, I, we, like, we, I don't know. It's a true storm of like, it, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad time to be a schizophrenic. It really is a bad time to have mental illness. I mean, it's just rough because he has nowhere to go. Um, and when they asked Ed about all these things, he simply said it was too hard to explain that it didn't feel like it was him doing these things. More of a dark force or a dark spirit that influenced him or took him over and pushed him to robbing these graves, which is also very common for killers and serial killers. Ted Bundy notoriously said he just like let the darker side take over. Dahmer said he forgot a lot of the, the, the crimes that he did. It's very kind of like black it out. As the decade turned, though, and Ed strolled into the 1950s, his retreat from society was now in full effect no longer taking odd jobs to help the town often and rarely ever leaving his homestead, Ed was a full recluse by this point. But there was still one place Ed would frequently visit in town, a small bar named by the name of Mary Hogan's Tavern. While Eddie himself wasn't much of a drinker thanks to the way he'd been raised, he still treated himself to a beer every now and again. But it wasn't the beer that kept Eddie coming back to Mary Hogan's Tavern. Instead, Ed had become infatuated with the proprietor of the tavern, Mary Hogan herself. Now tell me if Mary Hogan sounds a little familiar to the both of you. Mary Hogan was a formidable middle-aged woman who weighed close to 200 pounds and and spoke with an extremely thick German accent. Mary Hogan? Yeah. The reason she should sound familiar is because Eddie looked at Mary and saw his mother. In many, many ways, mm-hmm. a thick set German woman who was clearly from elsewhere, who had a demanding and commanding presence. They were set. They were similar in numerable ways. Mm-hmm. But more but more importantly to Ed, weren't the similarities that Augusta and Mary had, but the stark differences. And you can actually look up pictures, by the way, of Mary Hogan. Just type in Mary Hogan or Mary Hogan, Ed Gein. Oh, I'm going to see. Yeah, you can see like how she looked. She's like a rather plain. I don't know. She's just like a plain looking woman. Nothing, nothing special about her. Um, but as you continue there, uh, every time Eddie looked at Mary, like I said, in some way he saw his mother, but there were differences. Augusta in Ed's eyes was a saint worthy of nothing but praise and adulation. Mary, on the other hand, was a foul mouthed tavern keeper with a shady and even sinister past. Unfortunately, we actually don't have a lot of physical evidence of Mary's past, but the rumors that swirled at the time was that she was divorced twi- <clears throat> divorced twice, which was huge in, 19- in the 1950s, had ties to the mob since she had moved into rural Wisconsin from Chicago and was reputed, apparently, to being a big city madam in Chicago, which I tried to do a cursory research as to what a big city madam was, and I could not figure out what oh, that meant. Oh, the woman who's running the uh, whorehouse. Oh, well, they, yeah. Then, they, yeah, okay, that makes a whole lot of sense then. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah, the that, madam. There you go. They had, there are rumors that she ran a whorehouse um, um, out in Chicago as well. The more time that he spent with Mary, the less infatuated he became and the more he grew to hate Mary. In Ed's mind, this wasn't fair. Fair of the world, fair of God, that Gusta, his perfect saintly mother, had to pass away in such a horrible manner. But this creature of filth 
the sinner in Plainfield not only gets to live, but prosper in injustice to the world and injustice to God and injustice he could only fix. On December 8th, 1954, a Portage County farmer by the name of Seymour Lester walked into Mary Hogan's tavern. Instead of the thick German accented welcome he had grown accustomed to with a busy bar, Seymour was greeted with silence, deathly silence. Before long, he noticed a pool of blood on the floor and hurriedly telephoned Villas Waterman, the town chairman of Pine Grove. Then he notified the police. When Waterman and the sheriff arrived, it was immediately clear Mary Hogan was the victim of foul play. Beyond the pool of blood, a spent 32 caliber cartridge laid on the ground directly next to the patch of dried blood. The patch of blood looked smeared as though a body had been dragged through it, leading outside to the parking lot where the body had been loaded into what they would later learn was a pickup truck. Mary would remain missing for years. And while in any small town, this might spark up a huge investigation, and they did investigate, asking all the nearby farmers what had happened if they had seen anything, including Ed Gein, but they never went into anybody's houses and never had any reason to do so. So they simply asked the farmers and moved on. But it's also important to know that the surrounding area of Plainsfield over the years prior to Mary's disappearance had been plagued by misfortune. On May 1st, 1947, a young 10-year-old girl by the name of Georgia Weckler went missing on a sunny afternoon. After being picked up from school by a neighbor and dropped off on the half-mile lane off the highway leading to the Weckler farm, little Georgia disappeared. The oh, only no. clue they ever had was a black Ford sedan that had been seen leaving the driveway that day. What was that, Alex? I'm sorry. I just said, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Then on October 24th, 1953... A 15-year-old honor student at Central High School named Evelyn was babysitting for some local neighbor kids. She had a consistent habit of checking in with her parents by phone every night while she did the babysitting, but on this particular night, they never heard from her. Eventually, they found themselves at the house that she was supposed to be babysitting at, only to peer through the windows and see her eyeglasses on the floor of the living room and one of her shoes lying in the middle of that very same floor. When inspecting the house, all doors and windows were closed and locked save for one window leading into the basement where footsteps could be seen, a few bloody patches along, uh, along the sides of the wall, and a handprint. Over the next few days, an intense search was conducted, but no body was ever found. A few pieces of physical evidence were discovered that led investigators to believe that Evelyn had just been outright killed. Right off Highway 14, a blood-stained pair of panties and bra were both found belonging to Evelyn. What happened to her was never discovered. Other individuals also went missing during this time, including a 43-year-old farmer named Victor Bunk Travis, Bunk being his nickname, who disappeared shortly after saying goodbye to his wife heading out on a deer hunting trip. All that to say that Mary's disappearance wasn't something completely out of the ordinary up to this point for the town, and each of the missing persons case ended up cold, so for Mary's to do the same would be par for the course at this point. On the one-year anniversary of Mary's disappearance, Ed Marola, Plainfield's weekly newspaper editor, ran a, a front-page column titled, What Happied, Happened to Mary Hogan? On the two-year anniversary, Ed was still asking those same questions, or rather, yeah, Ed Marola was still asking those same questions with the following article. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you boys read this article. It's not too long. Jesse, if you want to take this. This is a 1954 newspaper article. Where is that? Or 1955, sorry. It's going to be in Zoom again. Uh, if the game, if it wants me to let, maybe I can't. 
Nope. I'm going to have to put it in Twitter. It's too big. Cart. Cart. My bad. There you go. Just said. All right. After two full years, complete mystery surrounds the disappearance of Mary Hogan, who apparently was shot and dragged from her town uh, uh, from her town of Pine Grove Tavern on December 8th, 1954. Nothing, absolutely nothing has come to light. And the questions concerning the whereabouts of Mary Hogan's body are as unknown today as they were on that bleak December day when the neighbor stepped into tavern to find a strangely silent building and blood splotched on the floor. Following the disappearance of Mary Hogan, a series of crimes took place in the Almond area some miles to the east, but along the same highway. Other crimes were committed at Wild Rose and Plainfield. Some of these crimes were partly solved by the confessions of a town almond man. Town of Almond Man. <laughs> it's a weird way a to put it. Town of out. Almond Man. That's such yeah. a strange. <laughs> But in so far as the Mary Hogan case is concerned, it is still a complete and deep dark mystery. Speculation is still rife about what happened to Mary Hogan. Was it something out of her past that caught up with her? Or was it just plain local hoodlums who perpetrated the crime? Was the body of Mary Hogan taken away and cremated somewhere as some people surmise? Or does the body of Mary Hogan lie rotting in some lonely town of Pine Grove or nearby area grave? Why do they specifically say, like, fool, like the town of Almond, the town of... No, it's weird. It's it's very, like, old English. It's strange. Uh, The authorities don't know. No one knows. This, uh, that is, except the murderers themselves. So, yeah, there was no one had any inkling of an idea as to what happened to Mary, still speculating that her criminal past basically came back and bit her in the ass. So Ed was getting away with it. There's just it would take. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. All yeah. the murders and all the stuff and all the things that are happening. Yeah. There's nothing that says it's connected back to Ed. No, this no, is just fact- stuff that happened. So this just again. Look, I'm not saying all this episode is doing is reconfirming everything I already believe, but this also makes me believe I'm right in living in the city because I'm much safer than living in the countryside because there's people <laughs> die out there. You live yeah, in the I country, mean, you, you get murdered. This is 1950s Boonies, Wisconsin. No, you get murdered in Boonies, Wisconsin. You, you're on the countryside then, of Wisconsin, you dying out there. Mm-mm. Yeah, this is a very violent area, too. Uh, this is, I, I, there was just, there's been discussion that these might be Ed Gein's kills. But no evidence that was found really points to Ed having committed all these crimes. In fact, the, the, the unfortunate part is it helped to just obscure his crimes because shit was just happening everywhere. And it was the 50s. There's no DNA testing. They can barely do anything about it if a body or a sure. person just goes missing. What the fuck are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so while Mary Hogan was certainly someone Ed had complicated thoughts about, um, Mary was kind of kind to Ed. What we know of their relationship is very little outside of that. They never got together outside of the bar. Mary and Ed always chatted at the tavern. However, on the night of December 7th, Ed had stayed at the tavern to to its closing, which wasn't super unusual for Ed. He did, however, he had, however, come with a singular task in mind, and it was his given right to perform it. Or at least, as he tells it later, the dark spirit urged him on to do so while his mother asked him to be a good boy. Regardless, as the tavern closed up, Ed asked Mary if she'd like to come over to the farmhouse that evening. Mary accepted, and Ed waited to escort her back home. As they were leaving the tavern around midnight, Ed awkwardly asked Mary to close her eyes. He had a surprise for her. 
Once Mary closed her eyes, Ed immediately bashed in the back of her head with the butt of his shotgun. Oh, my God. As she hit the ground, Ed lined up his shotgun between her eyes and quickly pulled the trigger. Right there and then, Mary had been killed. Ed quickly cleaned up the mess and dragged Mary to his truck and with effort lifted her corpse into the vehicle. Once home with the body, Mary was taken apart piece by piece, working her corpse into various pieces of furniture. With Mary's body and a large collection of grave-robbed corpses, Ed began working on a human flesh suit in honor of resurrecting his mother in his own twisted way. God damn it. Only a few short days after Mary's disappearance, Ed Gein found himself in a conversation with a small local farmer and sawmill owner who occasionally conversed and employed Ed Gein. To that point, as the conversation veered toward the inevitable town gossip of Mary missing, the farm the farmer named Elmo Uik, and it's a weird name, literally Elmo, and his last name is spelled U-E-E-C-K. Okay. Um, the farmer named Elmo Uik said to Ed, quote, Eddie, if you had spent more time courting Mary, she'd be cooking for you instead of being missing. In response, Ed rolled his eyes and wiggled his nose like a dog sniffing the air and said, she's not missing. She's down at my house right now with a big old grin on his face. And since Ed was always talking crazy, quote, Uik didn't take much from from the saying and brushed Ed off. He dead ass all, told him all while Ed was confessing right to his face. And poor Mary Hogan would only be the first of Ed's victims. And we'll conclude the series next week with Ed Gein part Damn. three, his crimes, capture and whatever happened to him at the end of his life. This is like unbelievable. I can't believe this is even a real fucking story. Like it's so like being somebody who was born in the eighties, like it's like he was so entrenched and in his in everything. And like, even now, like if you look up, like I, I don't recommend it actually, cause it's quite disturbing, but if you go look yeah, you up like the, yeah, like his lampshade or yeah, you can look up the mask, the gloves, you can see the yeah, nipple belt. Yeah. You can, you can see, see it all. You can see all it's these gross. things. And it's weird because in one way it's totally disgusting, but in another way I'm almost desensitized to it because it looks like something out of resident evil. Like it does, like it, yes, like it, it dead ass does it's gross. All right. And does anyone want to switch places with me? I'll sit in the audience <laughs> and you can be up on stage with these two psychopathic killers. I'm serious. Yes. Like it's, uh, it's they're going to wear me around that stage and dance. And I don't know. Thank you. It's hard to, it's hard to like, Look at the original thing and be like, oh, this is like horrific when it it almost reads as fictional. It looks like the book from Evil Dead. It like dead ass does. Yeah. And we're only seeing the Ed end product. Like we didn't see Ed wearing it and wandering around and dancing in it where the real horror would have been. And like but we have seen that see. in movies that yeah. has yes, been a thing in movies. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. We have seen that in movies. You are correct. But that is, we're more than halfway through Ed Gein now, boys. We're almost there. Only one last horrifying episode to go. And our dip back into true crime comes to an end yet again. Not I'm as excited. devastating as the last one. What was the last? Oh, MK? Yeah. Or no, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean. Uh, no, not MK. Uh, who was it? What did you do? Not BTK. I, you did You did another murderer. No. I did the, the artist guy. Yeah, the uh, artist had, like, guy. His father was, was all brutal. fucked that up. Was, yeah. That was just a nonstop chain of death. Yeah, there's a lot. But we'll be back next week, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. A reminder, we are 16 days, at least the time of this recording, where you guys are going to get it probably 15 days away from the live show. There's still a few tickets left. You can go to the website. You can go to our Twitter, where there's a link that directly leads you to the Ticketmaster website. Grab the tickets while you can. 
Um, if you didn't grab the t-shirt, it's gone, but hang tight. We've got a new exclusive t-shirt on the way. Hang that tough. Is, Was that a song? Yeah, it's good. That's, a, t- that's yeah. a song. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and follow us on all our <laughs> socials. Jesse Cox for Jesse, Fasiane A for, for Alex, and Mathis Games for myself, and Chiluminati Pod for the podcast as a whole on Instagram and on Twitter. We're off to do a mini-sode for patrons. Thank you guys so much. Goodbye. Bye. Hang tough. Hang tough. Me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.